Pass your message. Seagull X-ray carrying VIPs and neutronic equipment is airborne. Track progress of aircraft until further notice. Keep sharp lookout for UFOs. Please pass your code so that your instructions can be complied with. Stand by to receive code. Standing by. Thank you. Your code is correct. Hello, Tricks and Sci-Fi fans. My name is Don Ricardo Jr., and I am sitting in this weekend for the great Rico Dosti. We're recording Tricks and Sci-Fi episode 492, nearly a hundred episodes after our former recording 397, where we covered the great and famous old sci-fi movie, Logan's Run. It's great to be back. It's a great honor today to be covering the 1970 British sci-fi television series by Jerry Anderson and his wife Sylvia called UFO. This series was about a secret military organization called Shadow, which defends the Earth from alien invaders. Shadow stood for Supreme Headquarters Alien Defense Organization. Sound um, like something you might know from recent times, right? Anyway, this series was created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, who previously created the Super Marionation puppet TV series in the 1960s, uh, Thunderbirds, Fireball, XL5, and others. And they would later create Space 1999, which is another awesome production of theirs. I highly recommend it for those who haven't seen that as well. I was fortunate to grow up in the New York area, one of the few places where um, this British series was produced. And... Um, Subsequently, I got to see many of these episodes when I was a kid, along with Doctor Who, and that I might not have got to see them had I grown up elsewhere. UFO was filmed in 1969 and 1970, and began broadcasting in September of 1970 in England, and 1972 in America. The series ran for only a single season, for a total of 26 one-hour color episodes. The basic series, uh, the storyline, is what would have been 10 years in the future for them, the early 1980s. It had been discovered that aliens are coming to Earth and capturing or kidnapping people for unknown reasons. A secret military defense organization named Shadow is set up and just becoming operational in the first episode. Shadow's main headquarters is secretly hidden beneath a London film studio, as you will, and many Shadow personnel double as film studio employees as a cover. Shadow also has a base on the moon, aptly named Moonbase, and a fleet of submarines named Skydiver. Incoming UFOs are detected by an Earth-orbiting satellite named SID, the Space Intruder Detector, another early version of a, a talking computer. An initial interception attempt is made in space with three interceptors launched from Moonbase. A second attempt is made in the Earth's atmosphere with a fighter plane, Sky-1, which is launched from a skydiver vehicle. Underwater, that is. Landed UFOs are tracked down on the ground with mobiles. Shadow is run by an extremely dedicated commander, Ed Straker. His second-in-command are Colonel Alec Freeman, Colonel Paul Foster, and Colonel Virginia Lake. Moonbase is often commanded by Lieutenant Gay Ellis or Lieutenant Nina Barry. Again, a very forward-thinking series showing women in high-capacity um, roles. 
The episodes are typically about Shadow's attempts to thwart the aliens' plans, and the aliens' various ploys to disable Shadow or kill its commander. Recurring themes include maintaining Shadow's security, keeping Shadow properly funded, and the effect that the secrecy has on the personal lives of Shadow's operatives. UFO appeals to different people for different reasons. Uh, much of this great information I have to thank Mark Martin for. You need to visit his website. It's called ufoseries.com. An incredibly detailed site covering the series in depth, even with sound effects. Some fans love the hardware designs for Shadow's futuristic ground, air, and space vehicles, as I do. Others love the character of Commander Ed Straker, whose personal life becomes an important subject in several episodes. There are many other good reasons to like the series, including great special effects, creative stories, appealing lead actors and guest stars, catchy theme music, mysterious aliens, fun fashions, high production values, and beautiful, sexy female operatives everywhere. Speaking about the music and the sound effects, Barry Gray composed all of the music and many of the sound effects for this series. He was a British musician and composer, best known for his collaborations with television and film producer Gary, Jerry Anderson in the past. Check out uh, barrygray.co.uk, another website um, set up for his uh, edification. You may learn a lot about the UFO series also by checking out wikipedia.com and just or just googling UFO TV series. Follow along on YouTube. Look up UFO TV series identified. The whole first episode is on YouTube as are several others. Really great series. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and check one out. It's iconic and way ahead of its time for 1970. I'll now begin with showing you some of the series, the first episode, and other clips that I've found about the technical aspects, production, props, and behind the scenes. Enjoy, and thank you again for listening to Treks in Sci-Fi 492. If this is your first foray into the Treks in Sci-Fi universe, do yourself a favor. Stop listening now, and go and listen to one of Rico Dosti's podcasts. He covers them much better than I could. Let's head now to Shadow's secret London Film Studio base. Where we'll find out if Earth has any hope at all against the alien invaders.
Take Jean back to the car. I must get this. This is Colonel Strigger. How do you do, sir? A shattering business, Colonel. The Prime Minister's already at Chequers. We'll be there in 30 minutes. We've been in constant communication with Paris, Moscow and Bonn during your visits. I think the British government's approval will be formality. The evidence is absolutely conclusive. If I might just... Joey. It may speed things up. The clincher is at the back. It's an enlarged single frame from the cine film, sir. It couldn't possibly be a fake. The film was found undeveloped still in the camera. It's genuine. Take my word for it. Keep pace with the escort.
morning. Miss Eland. The report. Thank you. Messages. Information. Q21 answer negative. Q46 satellite link effective. Q9700. The computer readouts available from today. Have them put straight through to me, will you? Yes, sir. Mr. Freeman to see you, sir. All right, Mr. Freeman. But the girl in reception calls me Alec. So? Well, doesn't that inflame you with jealousy? Obviously, it doesn't. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east. And Juliet is the sun. Voice print, positive identification, 97. Freeman, Alec E. all the tests all of them I bet I'll keep you a moment Alec what I send for you? Take a look at this. That's Westbrook Electronics, isn't it? Yeah. What's left of it. Well, what happened? For ten years, there have been setbacks. We've had uh, accidents, miscalculations, errors of judgment, and other mishaps. Let's put Westbrook Electronics down to other mishaps. You mean a UFO? Well, there's no proof. So bang goes the Utronic project. Just when we thought we really had something to track them down. Now, don't panic, Alec. The Utronic equipment is safe. It wasn't in the building. It's intact, fully tested, and ready for shipment. The breakthrough. Shadow have had Moonbase and the other satellites operational for the past few months. There have been a few UFO sightings, but no interceptions. We've got the teeth. Soon we'll have the eyes. Now, Freeman, you know how important this is to our whole organization. Now, the Utronic design team and the equipment are ready to be picked up in Los Angeles and flown here to England. Now, I'm making you responsible for the security of the entire operation. I mean you, personally. Right. <laughs> 
Quite a while since you landed an SST. Just let's say it's part of the personal service. Shadow Control, this is Seagull X-ray. Confirm arrival, Stevenson Base, Los Angeles, 0835. Takeoff scheduled, 1100 hours. Roger, Seagull X-ray. Call Moon Base, will you? Yes, sir. Status check. Target? Affirmative. Magnetic field? Check. Saturation density? Green. Resonator? Affirmative. Code? Okay. Displacements? Go. Filters? Check. Fluctuation? Affirmative. Reflex? Excuse me. Right. Shadow control for you, Lieutenant. Right. Lieutenant Ellis? Good morning, Gay. I think I might have some action for you. I want Moonbase put on yellow alert from 1045 to track Seagull X-ray. Now it's carrying shadow VIPs on the Utronic equipment. So let's keep everybody on their toes. We can't afford to take chances. Roger. Joan, announce a yellow alert for 1045. Yes, Lieutenant. And complete the status check. I think this is going to be for real. I'm going to take a break. I'll be back about 1030. Okay. Moonbase will be on yellow alert from 10.45 Earth Labs time. Repeat, 10.45 EET. All space trackers to be fully operational by 10.45 EET. Astronauts to be on standby. Joanna? Be right with you, Lou. No hurry. I want to run a computer check on the interceptor systems in about 10 minutes. Hi, Gay. Hello, Lou. Do you think this could be it, Lieutenant? Looks like it, Lou. An SST traveling at Mach 4 is a pretty tempting target. Particularly as it's carrying the new Utronic equipment.
Put Skydiver in the picture. Yes, sir. Message from Shadow Control, sir. Yellow alert at 10.45. Right. At last entry. Did you send it? Yes, sir. A refueling schedule. Transmitted on security code B. Sorry, sir. How long have you been with us, Ford? Just over two years, sir. Two years. Long enough to know how important security is to Shadow. Now, look. This headquarters, controlling moon base, the satellites, and a fleet of submarines, is 80 feet below a film studio, right? Now, 400 people work up there, and not one of them knows all this exists. I have to play games, pretending to be the studio's chief executive. No one even dreams what my real function is. That's what security is all about. I'm sorry, sir. Sometimes it's pretty difficult. Difficult? So you think it's difficult, huh, Ford? Well, I'll tell you when it gets difficult. Have you ever thought about the victims of UFO incidents? Have you ever considered their parents, brothers, sisters? What do we tell them? They can never know the truth. So they live in agony for years, praying that someday their loved one may turn up, clinging to a thread of hope. Don't ever tell me that security's difficult. Sometimes it gets pretty close to home. The yellow alert starts in two minutes, sir. Be right with you. Stevenson Base, this is Seagull X-ray. Liftoff check complete. Liftoff clearance. Roger Seagull X-ray. You are clear to go. Una, 10.45. Right. Brakes. Off. Airspeed building. 130, 140, 160, V1, VR, rotate. This is Moonbase calling Sid. This is Space Intruder Detector. Pass your message. Seagull X-ray carrying VIPs and neutronic equipment is airborne. Track progress of aircraft until further notice. Keep sharp lookout for UFO. Please pass your code so that your instructions can be complied with. Stand by to receive code. Standing by. 
Thank you. Your code is correct. I have Seagull X-ray on scanners. It is on course. Speed, 1500 knots. Moonbase computers confirm course correct. Airspeed, 1500 knots. Right. Maintain tracking. Hydroplane's check complete, sir. Okay. Steer 042. Steer 042. 042. Maintain present speed. Maintain speed, 40 knots. Take over, will you, Bill? I'm going back to do my stuff with the passengers. Right. Amala? Good morning. Colonel Alec Freeman. Ah, Colonel. I'd like to congratulate you and your team, Herr Mahler. This looks like the breakthrough we've been waiting for. Oh, not my team, Colonel. Uh, may I introduce our chief designer, Virginia Lake? How do you do, Colonel? Well, for the first time in my career, I wish I was flying subsonic aircraft. Uh, the trip would take that much longer. Uh, just in case anyone's interested, uh, I'm Phil Wade. Oh, how are you? Well, looks like you're the answer to all our prayers. Would you like to see the Utronic equipment, Colonel? I think your equipment is fabulous, but uh, I am familiar with it. Really? Yes. For instance, I know that a Utronic beam travels instantaneously. Almost instantaneously. Well, anyway, it means we'll be able to detect UFOs even when they're flying many times the speed of light in deep space. Go on. So, our moon base interceptors will have a chance to destroy them before they reach the Earth. Very good. I could tell you more over dinner. Don't you think you better get back to your little seat up front? <laughs> I suppose so. I'll be seeing you. Colonel, you were right. You are familiar with the equipment. Everything okay? Yes, sir. No sign of any activity. Good. Speed. Solid. 
trajectory termination coming up. This is moon base to shadow control. Predicted trajectory termination, North Atlantic. Speed, solid. Going for intercept, out. Interceptors, immediate launch. Interceptors, immediate launch. Interceptors, go. Right. Attention all defense systems. This is a maximum security alert. Attention all defense systems. I say again, this is a maximum security alert. Condition red. Missile program completed. Range 8 million miles closing. 7 million miles. Missile firing 5 decimal 4 seconds. Skydiver. And get me Alec Freeman. Yes, sir. Gentlemen, Miss Lake, Shadow Control have just informed me that a UFO is approaching the North Atlantic. I'm afraid we must assume that this aircraft is its target. I'm going to reduce height in order to gain the advantage of cloud cover. This will mean we'll have to reduce speed, but of course in the dense atmosphere, so will the UFO. Presumably, that increases Shadow's chances of intercepting it. Yes, it does. I'd fasten your seatbelts if I were you. Look, don't worry. It'll be okay. Anyway, we have a dinner date. I wouldn't let anything interfere with that. Thank you. Thank you. 
UFO entering visual speed range. Radar and visual alert. UFO on radar track speed Mach 5. God for the atmosphere. It's the best protection we have. Have positive radar fix. Well, it's up to skydiver now. In position, sir. Right. Five, Stand by. Four, three, two, one, zero. Launch stations. Launch stations. Clear one. One clear. Clear two. Two clear. Ready for takeoff, sir. Okay, lift off stations. Lift Check off boosters. stations. Checking boosters. Circuits. Cut boosters. H pulse circuits, okay. Cutting boosters. Relays, okay. Vilenski burning. Interlocks engaged. Stabilized gyros. Trigger circuits, okay. Stand by for liftoff. Shadow control from Sky One, airborne. Position zero two zero, red. Roger, Sky One. Airspeed down to 600 knots. Right. Lower heat shield. Right. I don't like it. These clouds give about as much cover as a G-string on a belly dancer. Sky one to Seagull X-ray. Over. Oh, Peter, am I glad to hear you. What's your position? Right above you. Level off at 20,000. Sky one to Seagull X-ray. Have you four on screen? Closing rapidly. Roger. Ten degrees port. Right. at 12 o'clock. You are the target. Coming into attack. You forwent at Cloud Lair. Keep a sharp lookout. Roger.
Hold her steady. Shot of control. Reporting direct hit on UFO. It's gonna crash into the sea. Good shooting, Sky One. Come in, Seagull X-ray. Alec, are you okay? I've aged about five years, but we're still in one piece. Hello, Sky One. Follow it down, Captain. Use your reconnaissance camera. Roger, will do. straight under. It seems to be breaking up. Hold it. There's a body. Please confirm. Did you say body? Yes, it's a body. Geeklings, we are about 33 minutes into the TV show. There's about 10 minutes left or so. Um, I just wanted to take a quick break and to have a little bit of the Ed Bishop interview, Commander Ed Straker, uh, talking with Sylvia Anderson about the fashion and why the purple wigs on the moon base characters. Also, a little bit more about the series in general, and then we'll wrap it up on uh, Trex and Sci-Fi 492. Thanks again for listening, and uh, stay tuned. Well, uh, I had great fun on UFO, I have to say. I had a totally free hand. No one else was interested in this, you know. I mean, it was left up to me. And, of course, they didn't mind me doing this because it was a feminine thing to do, you see, anything to do with clothes. They weren't threatened by this. They quite accepted the fact that I, you know, would be interested in this. But I wanted something very different for the Moon Girls. Uh, I wasn't worried, you know, we did the string vests for the submarines and so on, which I've already uh, mentioned which was a practical thing to do, and I was quite pleased with that. That turned out well. Um, but I wanted something very different. You know, you talk about, you're talking about future here. Now, how do you help wear your hair? I mean, what, what are you going to do with the women? Are they all going to have different hairstyles? And is it all going to be, apart from anything else, on a practical level, it takes up time to get people's hair done. So everyone on the set has got to have the hair done that looks futuristic. And how do you predict what is going to be? And I thought the only way to do it is they've got to be uniform. It's got to be one thing. So then I toyed with ideas and I sketched and I rather liked the idea of a very simple hairstyle that, but was flattering. And then I thought, well, why does it have to be a conventional color? I mean, why does it have to be? You know, you're going so far over the top here, you may as well go the whole way. So I decided on purple and I had one made up. And I sat in my office one day at the studio, wearing this purple wig. 
And the amazing thing was that no one referred to it. They walked in and out and said, oh. I don't know what they said when they went out. They probably said, oh, Sylvia's having one of her you know, peculiar turns. But to me, it was quite flattering to every type of face. It wasn't going to be something that was, oh, if I really got to wear that awful thing, it didn't have spikes coming out of it. It wasn't, and it was terribly simple to put on. And it was acrylic, so there was, there was no um, maintaining it, no hairdressing involved. So I, I just, it just worked really. And I, I, was, I was quite pleased with that. I mean, some of the experiments you do don't work. I mean, we had an alien in one uh, episode. It was going to be a regular thing. And we decided that we'd take a Negro, but whiten his face. This is before Michael Jackson, I have to say. And give him contact lens, blue, and dye his hair blonde. Uh, you, know, you tell me, crazy, isn't it? Totally crazy. Um, so I took him to a leading London hairdresser salon. Here am I arriving in with this very big guy. He said, all day this poor thing, getting his hair bleached. I mean, all day long. We had him fitted with blue lens. We did a test on him. We decided it didn't work. So, I mean, the poor guy had to endure the, uh, the bleaching and the contact lens. So you do all those things, you know, but uh, it's expert. The lovely thing is there are no rules. There's nothing to say. You have to do anything. You can make your own rules, providing it works on the screen. with the future very much in mind, who together with her husband, Jerry Anderson, is responsible for the film you've just seen, is Sylvia Anderson. Mrs. Anderson, you and your husband are also responsible for some very successful Space Age puppet series, series that have made uh, characters like Lady Penelope and Thunderbirds, household names. You've now made the move for, well, for want of a better phrase, to adult fiction world. Yes. Um, do you find that the two forms very different? Uh, they are really, in as much as uh, with the puppets, you know, one could decide uh, what body a puppet had, what hairstyle, mm. exactly, uh, how they were dressed and so on. You're a little more inhibited, I think, with an actor, you know. You can't really change at all, man, to short run. The clothing in the film looks very futuristic. Can you see it having any applications today? Yes, I can. Um, I think, uh, the first and foremost, modern design is very practical. For example, you can have a girl arriving in the office with a a cat suit with sleeves and a skirt on. She wants to go out in the evening, she can remove the sleeves, put on an extra mini skirt or an extra coat or anything, and I think it will be adopted. Well, she may look like a visitor from outer space to you, but she's warm, comfortable and ready for anything, with a specially adaptable cosmetics belt, which does away with cumbersome handbags. There's nothing to crease, nothing to iron, and every part is replaceable. The design is so practical it adapts for indoors and out at the flick of a zip. She could sell me one anytime. The metallic fabric is tough but lightweight. And the synthetic accessories need no cleaning. 
She'll never have a chance to say she's got nothing to wear because it's all there. High-speed living needs no trouble gear. If this is living in the future today, I'm all for it. Because, as I said, you, you, you keep having to get your hair dyed uh, uh, time after time after time. So uh, they finally got me a wig. <laughs> and this was, uh, was not looking her best. I don't, I don't think either one of us have held up very well over the years. Oh, I, I, I don't think that's true. Anyway, we better quickly just answer some questions that okay. uh, Back in the people have uh, written. Do you still keep in touch with any other members of the cast? No. No, we don't keep in touch socially. Uh, if we meet professionally to work uh, or at a convention, but uh, it's not for any design because we all got along extremely right. well. But it's just it's just the way things work out. We don't keep in touch. So Paul Foster, you don't see, or you don't know what he's up to at the moment. Last I heard about Paul, he was in America, doing very well. He was uh, doing some writing, and uh, I see him in, uh, from time to time on a uh, some kind of a program imported from America. I see oh, Michael right. Billington, you know. He's there. Right. Yeah. Um, is Ed Bish is Ed Straker like Ed Bishop in real life? Do you heroically save the world every day of your life? Of course I do, Janet. <laughs> every single day. You should be in bed. <laughs> That's Janet Newbury. Good morning, Janet. Uh, question for Ed. Why was only one series of UFO made? Well, I think we've actually answered that one, haven't we? Um, your first your first part with ITC, I, I suppose that was Captain Blue, wasn't it? That would be, yes, in the uh, Captain Scarlet and the Mistron series. Now, here's, here's an interesting question. Who was the Harlington in the Harlington Straker Film Studios? That is one of those facts like uh, the lost city of Atlantis, of which there was no answer. Because oh, nobody wow. knows. I think ha Harlington was plucked out of the uh, phone book by, <sighs> by Tony Barwick, and uh, I think that's all the story there is to it. There is no... Well, I think actually Michael Billington's character was called Paul Foster because our production manager was Norman Foster and he more or less wanted his, and he his name. And what is his surname? Sir, sir well, 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 you learn the inside facts here, don't you? You get the scoop here. But uh, Harlington, I don't know. I mean, there was no. Um, well, that's upset deep Dave. Secret about that. That's upset Dave Dennison. Sorry uh, about that, Dave. And also, just, just one last. Oh, two things, actually. Alan Bishop of Portsmouth wants to know. Why the left-hand drive cars always drive on the right-hand side of the road when it was made for showing in Britain? Well, thanks for calling in with that question, Alan. No relation. Well, we never know. But I can't work out the, the left hand, the right hand. We're, I don't remember what side we drove on. We drove, but, but whatever it was, it was aimed at the American market, and we aimed for where they drive. Yeah, is, so, so they, so they, their viewers would not be disoriented. That was the, the bottom line on that. Right, and last but not least, can you say a hello to someone here? Sure. Hello. Uh, to Anthony Owen of Portsmouth. Anthony Owen of Portsmouth. Who has no idea that you're going to say Hello. Say How are you? <laughs> nice to see you.
Well, thanks very much for coming in. I hope that's actually cleared up quite a lot of the questions that uh, we've been asked uh, um, over the past few weeks, if not months. Um, just one thing, I've got to say that UFO changes nights next week, so no doubt the phones will start ringing about that. But I'm glad you were able to come in on a Thursday night. My pleasure. It's been most illuminating. Thanks very much. After the break, Transworld Sport. And by the way, uh, I knew Ed was going to hit me in uh, Killstraker because we talked about it before. And I said that um, we're only going to get one take on this because the actors only had one take. You know? And I said, it's probably better if I don't fake it, if you just hit me and I'll be ready for it. And uh, 
and that's what actors do. And unfortunately, Alan Perry has a different angle. But Alan Perry doesn't know about acting, that this is what actors do. They do take risks, and they're not afraid of getting hurt. I don't know how they do it technically, but I can uh, see the episode on the screen. Uh, which was uh, sub-Spanish. And I could just talk just like this. And, oh, look at him. He's dead. You know, she was nice. Or you know, say anything you like. And then somehow or other they squeeze it in. So I, I, I don't know how they do it, but it was very easy. Uh, I just made a commentary. And 30 years, over 30 years later, uh, I, I remember everything. I've got a very good memory. I don't know what I had for lunch, but <laughs> 30 years ago. sound of the UFO ship using an obscure instrument called the Andes Martinot. Gray provided such electronic music and sound effects for such films as Doctor Who and the Daleks in 1965, Daleks Invasion of Earth 2150 AD, and the uncredited work on Island of Terror in 1966 and Fahrenheit 451 in 1966. You can find out more about this great composer on barrygray.co.uk. The special effects, which were supervised by Derek Meddings, were of the highest quality and outstanding for their day, given the relatively limited resources at the production's disposal. In the refinement of the underwater effects developed for Stingray, Meddings' team devised a disconcerting effect, a double-walled visor for the alien space helmets, which could be gradually filled from the bottom, up with green dyed water. When filmed from the appropriate angle, it produced a very convincing illusion of the helmet filling up and the submerging wearer's head. So much more could be said about this series, and since we have limited time, I'll refer you again to ufoseries.com, Wikipedia, and YouTube. And now we'll resume the rest of the show, about ten minutes or so, and then we'll wrap it up. Thank you again for listening to Treks and Sci-Fi 492. Suddenly there were these big movie stages and live action sets and, and artists. But I thought, hey, isn't it marvelous? These people can walk through a door, sit down, and they talk in sync. You know, their mouths move and they're in sync with the dialogue. They can pick up telephones. This is really wonderful. Directing artists was a totally different thing for me. Terrifying. I had a nice little spot on the way to work that I would get out of the car 
be sick and carry on and just hope that a bus would hit you on the way. And who will command this international band of heroes? Ed Bishop is one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. And my only sadness was that uh, he didn't go on to become an international star. I would have loved him to have perhaps been James Bond. I started to dye my hair. And in those days, they, they, uh, they didn't have unisex beauty salon, so I had to go to a woman's beauty salon in Mayfair in London and sit there under the hairdryer with a whole room full of women, and that was really bad news. Oh, UFO was brilliant, yeah. The costumes, the wigs, Gabrielle Drake being very sexy. I had to do a sort of demonstration, a sort of, you know, unvelcroing it and taking the bits off, and then you were just left with the, the sort of the silver bit and a miniskirt. But golly, you couldn't have got dressed that quickly with it. I mean, it took some getting into. <laughs> I believe the series became very, very popular in Japan, and we subsequently heard that a lot of the Japanese had adopted this hairstyle. <laughs> it was a great revelation going to rushes and seeing the stuff that we weren't involved in, you know, the, the spacecraft landing. It was amazing, and you saw this incredible machine coming in over the sea and landing, and then you'd see this huge Wellington boot come in and pick it up. <laughs> if you ask me which were the difficult shots to do, I think maybe, on reflection, I should say, flying those damn flying saucers. The top part was held on four wires, and in the actual um, glass, or the perspex part of it, we had a motor. So the bottom part actually spun, and on that part we had these, what I keep referring to as paddles, and I covered those with a very highly reflective tape, so that when it was going around, it caught the light, it would flash and strobe, and just make the uh, flying saucer have this sort of ethereal look to it. I remember that actually we'd been filming UFO for a little while and um, there was the first moon landing that ever was and it was really extraordinary because you know you saw all the close-ups of all the machinery and everything and, and it looked exactly like our studio set. I mean amazing, you'd have thought that they'd have copied ours. We did anticipate the, the gull-wing doors, cars. How's it going, Alec? Everything's fine. Good, good. Moonbase and the other tracker stations will have the Utronic system fitted and operational within a week. Oh, that's just great. Oh, you look tired, Alec. Why don't you uh, help yourself to a drink? Thanks. I think I will. You never touch it, do you? Uh-uh. Self-control. Maybe drinking needs more self-control. When does uh, it arrive? Any time now. We've waited a long time for this one. Yes, ten years. It's been ten years since we had the first confirmed UFO landing on Earth. And that was after a decade of speculation, reports, official denials, you name it. You know, Alec, when I was made commander of Shadow, I thought it was all going to happen. You've done a good job. The best. Well, I've tried. 
But how far have we progressed? I mean, what do we really know about UFOs? What are they? Where do they come from? What do they want? Shadow section. Your special patient has arrived, sir. We will use underground corridor 32 to Shadow Medical Center. Right. Well, maybe some of the answers are coming in now. Well done, Peter. Thanks. You're wanted in debriefing immediately. Right. See you later. What's the position, Doctor? Alive, but in a critical condition. Excuse me. What are the chances of survival? Well, he was equipped with an advanced apparatus that enabled him to breathe liquid. The helmet was removed as soon as he was picked up. An attempt was made to restore normal breathing. The problem is that there's still some liquid left in his lungs. So it's too early to say yet. Excuse me. Space travel in a liquid environment. The very thing we've been experimenting with. Yes. Well, apparently they've done it. I must ask you to leave now. Right. Let me know the moment you have anything, Doctor. Is he alive, Doctor? Yes. Well? Well, the general analysis has shown that he's humanoid. You mean, like us? More or less. Body temperature, three degrees paranormal, blood pressure rather low, muscular development poor. The skin has an artificial green coloration, probably absorbed from the liquid. The interesting thing here is that the hair hasn't picked up this tint, which suggests that the liquid contains a bioacrophilic compound. Also, the fact that the eyes were protected by plastic shells seems to support this theory. Anyway, we'll know more when we get the computer readout from the first electromedical check. It'll be a few minutes. 
solar system probably a hundred million million miles from Earth. It's incredible. What is? Well, we can't be certain yet, but this preliminary test shows organ and gland transplants. Heart, liver, left lung, thyroid. what this could mean, Alec? It's still theory. Theory? Fact? After almost ten years of possible, probable, and confirmed UFO incidents. Fact? On a number of fully documented occasions, mutilated bodies found after UFO attacks. Organs missing. Fact? An electromedical examination on the first alien we lay our hands on shows organ transplants. The doctors aren't certain. No, not yet. But I'm willing to bet that our proof lies at the end of that corridor. Intensive care unit. We have an emergency. he's dead. When can I have a post-mortem? 48 hours. Make it 24. Not the details. Just what really matters. The rapid aging isn't documented in the report. We're not sure why it happened, but it's certainly connected with the reaction of Earth's atmosphere on the body. Now, gentlemen, let's concern ourselves with the three main questions regarding UFOs. One, where do they come from? Now, the fact that the lungs were filled with an oxygenated liquid 
seems to indicate a subjection to phenomenal acceleration and fantastic speed over a long period, long enough for the skin to pick up the green coloration of the liquid. Now, all this would appear to add up to an extended journey through space, perhaps several months, at many times the speed of light. Question number two, who are they? Well, obviously, in science and technology, several hundred years in advance of man. But everything in this report seems to add up to a dying race. Hereditary sterility was evident. What, by using drugs and advanced transplant techniques, they could have found a way to stop the natural aging process. They're also highly intelligent, so they presumably come to Earth knowing the risk of contact with our atmosphere. Which brings us inevitably to question number three. Why do they come? This report indicates five major organ and gland transplants. In the case of the heart, tissue compatibility tests shows that it was human in origin. It came from Earth, gentlemen. Therefore, one of the reasons they must obviously come is to obtain organ replacements. There may be other reasons. Imagine a dying planet in some distant corner of the universe. Its natural resources exhausted. Its inhabitants sterile. Doomed to extinction. Situation we may one day find ourselves in, gentlemen. So they discover Earth, abundant and fertile, able to satisfy their needs. They look upon us not with animosity, but with callousness, as we look upon our animals whom we depend on for food. Yes, but appear they are driven by circumstance across a billion miles of space, driven on by the greatest force in the universe, survival. There's no possible doubt? No, sir. Electronic tissue analysis is as positive as a voice print. Right. sister, isn't it? Yes. I'm afraid she's dead, Peter. There's no longer any doubt. I think you know how sorry I am. What happened? I don't think you'd like to know the details. I think I'd like to know. Your sister was last seen in the vicinity of a UFO incident nearly 10 years ago. 
The alien's body recovered from the sea was subjected to intense medical examination. The heart was a transplant. The donor was Leela Carlin. What will you tell your parents? I don't know. You realize, of course, that they can never know the truth. A funeral without a body. A symbol of human compassion. A long finger of tragic coincidence stretching across a billion miles of space. Is this the end or the beginning? But where does the universe end? Where does it begin?